Julia Davenport knew something was wrong. You see, there seemed to be a connection with her orgasms and men dying, so she took meds to suppress them and faked her orgasms. But one unfortunate day, something went terribly wrong that set her off on a journey to becoming New York's newest superhero, Off Girl. Off Girl is an ongoing comic series created and written by Tina Fine and illustrated by Mark Rahill that pushes the envelope of the standard superhero. Irreverent, provocative, and fun with amazing art to showcase the story, Off Girl is a comic you won't want to miss. Go to offgirl.com to check out excerpts, download the digital version, and order yourself a print copy today. Off Girl at offgirl.com. Whoa, dudes, Michelangelo here from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original one. Yeah, and you are listening to Candair Podcast. It happens to be a tribute to comics and pop culture like yours truly, Cowabunga! And welcome to another episode of Can Dare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I am Jack Doherty. And returning to the show to talk about his uh, comic, just winding down from a successful Kickstarter. Big congratulations goes out to him, Brian E. Lau of Inferno City Firehouse. Brian, it's always awesome to have you back. And this is your fifth time on the show, sir. No crap. Awesome. crap. Free sub. It's been a while, though. It's been a while. It's been a while. I think the last time we had you on technically was uh, maybe a Wizard World interview. So if you can really call that on. But, I mean, you were on the episode. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good time, too. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Was a, that was a hell of a fun Hang weekend, out. wasn't it? <laughs> Drinking too Drinking much at the after, 16-bit yeah. arcade and then... Oh man, that pizza afterward was amazing. But oh, anyway, right. yeah, yeah. anyway, we don't want to bore the listeners with all of our personal little details there. Uh, in our retro roundtable, we're going to be talking '60s pop culture, keeping in theme with what Adam DeColibus uh, started last week and with uh, the suggestion of '50s pop culture. This week, we are continuing the trend with '60s pop culture. Uh, a lot of good stuff coming out of the '60s, of course. Uh, beside the one big obvious, the Beatles mm. changed <laughs> the face of pretty much everything, right? Then in our uh, comic vaults, uh, Jack, what do you got to talk about? The Fat Ninja. Hey. I mean, I like everything about the, the titles thus <laughs> I far. I cracked up when I saw the title, so that was... A Makes half, me think uh, of Chris Farley's to. Beverly Hills Ninja. Did you ever yep. see that film? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got... Uh, well, I mean, I've, what I started to bring today was Punisher uh, in the Iron Man suit. But, man, my adventure to the comic book store turned out so much... It was crazy. I, mean, I can't wait to tell you guys about it. Uh, and then after that, we're going to turn our attention over to Brian and talk more about Inferno City Firehouse. But before we do all that, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. Uh, lots going on over there. And we also have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash CannedAirPod. For $5 a month, you get access to our Patreon-only show. Posts once a month and uh, some good content, I think. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. Our listeners seem to enjoy it. You'll enjoy it, too. Yes. Jack, what else we got? Wizard World St. Louis is coming up April 5th through the 7th, and we will later on in the show be announcing the winner of the three-day, the two three-day Priority Platinum passes. Mm-hmm. Big, big things the to show. come. 
this is the first time we're announcing the contest winner on the show. So we're, we're kind of forcing them to listen, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> You've got to give us something. We're giving passes for the whole weekend at a convention. That's right. You can at least humor us for like 45 <laughs> minutes, people. Come on. And if you hear your name, you have till Saturday at midnight. There it um, is. What is that going to be? The 29th, I think it is? <sighs> that will be uh, the 30th. The 30th. At yeah. midnight. March 30th at midnight. To reply to w- or Podcast at gmail.com. There you go. Saying that you're the winner. I mean, Otherwise, they could technically we'll the go to the one. website and shoot us a message there, too, right? Yep. That would work, too, but awesome. Very good, very good. Big things to come. So let's just kick it off with this week's Retro Roundtable. Do it. Do it. Come on. I'm here. Come on. Do it now. Oh, my Taste bad. All right, gentlemen. 60s pop culture. I, uh, you know, I already mentioned the Beatles. Obviously, their influence is huge. Doesn't necessarily need to be stated by us. I love the Beatles, but if I start talking about them, I'm not going to stop. That's going to be a Beatles-centric episode after that. And to say that, you know, the Beatles are 60s pop culture is a big fucking duh. Mm -hmm. You know, so maybe we should just leave them in the corner. You yeah, think? we talked enough about them last week. Did we? And that was the 50s. Well, just kind of the Paul's See, they're even thing. bleeding into the 50s talk. Like, <laughs> that's what kind of surprised me when I saw that. I was like, wait a minute. We talked about them last week, but maybe it, yeah. they didn't come around until later. So. I mean, I think that's their professional career was through the 60s. But yeah, they mm. would they would have been playing in the in the late 50s. Well, I know Love Me Do was a, their hit from the 60s, so... Was it? Well, just, let's just like, say what, what, what was our first Beatles album that you owned? Ooh. So I, I owned my first Beatles album. I own. I got a, as a gift was Magical Mystery Tour. Oh wow! Okay, so. so what got me into the Beatles? Man, it's weird. I was in I was in band, you know, uh, high school marching and concert band, and a lot of the stuff we played was Beatles song. And because it's stuff we had to play, I was like, I don't want to listen to this. You know, it wasn't uh. in the nineties. <laughs> kids That's weren't good. into the Beatles like kids no. you know today are now because of like. The what, guitar you're hero gonna and listen, everything you, else. You What's got that? Adults yelling. You got adults yelling at you. You're gonna listen to the Beatles. I mean, it, usually it was the opposite. It's it was the adults. Was the, like, yeah, the clear turn opposite. It, turn that crap off. It was fossil music. I was like, I don't want to hear that. Give me the new oh, corn album. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. at, no, the year after I graduated uh, on ABC, I think it was or NBC, one of those stations on a Friday night, they had this special. It was just called Beatles One whole documentary on uh, them and their hits and they put out an album to follow it just it was a oh, yeah. first collection of all their number one hits and i bought that and yeah i have that ever since that is what hooked me now i know that can't really be considered an album i'm trying to remember the actual first album of theirs yeah i had the actual magical mystery tour album growing up i, I really up. couldn't tell you i think it would probably be the white album was my first Ooh, okay. Mine was just from finding it in a big pile of records. Was uh, uh, Sergeant Pepper? Oh, so technically, ooh, it, it, nice. I mean, it was mine in a sense, I guess, because yeah. it was in my house, but I never purchased it. But by the time I was actually acquiring like the actual albums, I was already hooked and into it mm-hmm. because uh, I, you know, there are so many compilations and different rearrangements of their songs over the years that aren't classified as actual albums, but right. Did, did you ever play the White Album backwards? Turn I me on, not, Dead Man. No, no. <laughs> Turn me on, Dead Man. Turn me on, Number Nine. You know that started out with the number nine. Sure. 
we did it. We actually played it backwards, and you you can hear him saying "Turn me on, dead man," because there was this rumor that Paul was dead or something. Or, yeah. Yes. We talked about that last yep. week, too. Didn't <laughs> oh, did you? All right. Well, yeah. let's just no, 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 no. That's not what I was saying. I, I love talking about this shit. There are, there's uh, certain things in those albums that I <clears throat> I don't know where they're at. And if I guess I did some digging, I could find out where. But um, one thing that I'll never forget, and I think I saw it in the, because I have the 1990s uh, anthology on DVD that came out. Remember that? that? Yeah. Man, like it seemed so cool. It's so dated now. And they're like doing a. I don't know. I guess it doesn't make any difference. It was in the 90s. Nothing's really changed with the Beatles since then, right? <laughs> I can't imagine hearing a remastered version of it the way they can do, like, so clean it up so good now anymore. Oh, oh you, you mean, like, with the new songs they did in that whole thing? Yeah. They did Free as a Bird and, um, mm. oh, what was the other one? Well, even some of their live stuff, the old, Real old love. live stuff that they did. Yeah. Real clean and stuff without the popping and stuff from out yeah. from the vinyl. Yeah, sure. One thing I'm always kind of on the lookout for is Paul said in that DVD set that the way they used to achieve reverb in a recording. See, nowadays, oh, if I want reverb, I can just hit the little button that says reverb yeah. and it's there and I can adjust how much reverb there is. They didn't have that then. So what they did was that they would sing into the microphone. OK, that microphone would lead to a speaker in an empty room that had these like pillars in it. That sound would then broadcast into the room and bounce around in there before another microphone on the other side of that room mm. would pick it up again and take it back to the mixing board with all that echo and shit yep. in it. So uh, Paul was saying that when you know they would be working on a song and it was time to, say, work with Ringo exclusively for a while to get a part down or work with John to get his solo, you know, whoever it was, the others would mm -hmm. sneak off into that room while they were recording and get high and sit in there and laugh <laughs> during the recording. So he said, if you listen real close on certain songs, you can hear them <laughs> chuckling and giggling and shit in the background of the echo. You know, it's, I, I've never heard it, but I want to, <laughs> but anyway, let's, let's get, let's move past the Beatles. Uh, see what else the sixties has yielded uh, TV. Huge. Huge Batman 66, Star oh, Trek, yeah, yeah. The Brady Bunch, The Partridge Family, Mission Impossible. The list just keeps going. And a lot of these properties. Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, mm. yes, thank mm. you. And all these properties are still going today. Yep. A lot of them. I mean, I don't think The Partridge is still going, but, no, but the Bradys still are still there. active. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking well, again. Yeah, we last talked about week, them last week, too. About Damn. how the uh, Bradys are redoing that house, yep. the original house that was the, used for the front in the show. Yeah, just the static shot of the house. Yeah, so they're, they're remodeling the inside to look the way it did on the show. That blew me away that the inside's not anything like what the show was it and behind the house like if you were to take a drone and look behind the house it just it's a drop off into like one of those big like concrete trenches you know oh, really they have in california <laughs> that like those that redirect water and yeah. stuff it's one of those get out i had no idea yeah. it's really not that fake grass back there <laughs> i promise you one thing i found that i guess it's not really pop culture but it's i don't know zip codes were invented in the 60s Really? Mm -hmm. I'd say that pop culture, what? no? Yeah. I would say yeah. that. Oh, I was surprised to find that out. I was like, seriously? We didn't have them until the 60s? Lava lamps also. Weird. Oh, yeah. Products. That mystery goo inside that moves Good around. mystery gooey way to burn the <laughs> fuck out of your house. Because those things got hot, and they still might. I mean, I think the, the lava lamp nowadays has been reimagined to where it doesn't get hot. It's not as hot, yeah. But those old ones. Such heat. Yeah, those are fire hazards. They were just straight the up, like, 
fucking like oven heaters you were plugging <laughs> in. The halogen know? lights. Yeah. Heater lights in there. Oh my god. We went to space. Is that 60s. when we landed on the moon? Mm, that was what? That was 69, I think it was, but us going, a uh, man going into space was the 60s. Wow. Because Russia started. Well, 69 it. is in the 60s too, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just so made we, it. So we that. went to space and we landed on the moon <laughs> in the 60s. What do you guys uh, think about all the, the hullabaloo about it being a uh, conspiracy that we never, never have been to the moon? I think it's a bunch of bull. I, I would mean, hope so. There is yeah. you sit and think, yeah. Well, why why aren't we going back there constantly and stuff? Well, we hit it. You know, we we did that. We've been there, done that. I I don't even think the moon is real. I think the whole thing is a conspiracy. Just a big old block of change. <laughs> <laughs> you guys believe there's a moon? <laughs> I believe there's a moon, Brian. I, I stare at it all the time. No, I it's, I. it's it's ridiculous, man. I mean, it's like actually, I saw a great program. They were talking about how hard, how much harder it would have been with the technology back then to actually fake the moon landing. That was pretty funny, right? <laughs> yeah, really. You know, Jack uh, did say something that you know I've never ever doubted the moon landing to be a false thing. I mean, if you are a person who has a telescope on the right nights, if you have the certain coordinates, you can even look at the moon and see, you know, uh, old what the flag lander, I guess it would be oh, the yeah, flag, yeah. stuff yep. like that, that are still there. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I don't have a telescope that powerful, yeah. but um, the telescope I do have, you know, I, we used to on starry nights when we lived out in the country, we'd set it up on the back patio and look at the moon. It's incredible, it's absolutely incredible what's really? uh, freaking up there, just because you can see every little crater and every impact but anyway i'm sorry i'm getting kind of off track again you raise an interesting point when you say we've only kind of gone the once and came back like why aren't we utilizing it okay right we know how to get there now like is there really no why are we going all the way to fucking mars Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean i know if this earth collapses then the moon in turn will probably collapse and drift off and Uh, yeah not be able to sustain life cause but so yeah but still you'd think we could be utilizing it in some way be setting up a station there for a like a, a halfway point or something like that. Get your people go to the moon and then pre- prep there mm. to launch out. I mean, I don't know if you could have a traditional launch, right? I mean, you probably push the moon off its course or something. <laughs> then all of a sudden, shit's going haywire. Well, I just everywhere mean else. because of the lack of oxygen up there. You know, there's no atmosphere to the moon. Well, instead of just having the space station in orbit, just kind of having. Yeah, and a small chilling on the moon, something there. Yeah, there's there's been so much innovation in space since then, from you know satellites to the space station, you know sending stuff to Mars and past Mars, and it's kind of like okay, all that must be a conspiracy too. Then, but you know we got cell phones, and you know aren't we be aren't we able to communicate through Skype because of the uh, you know the you know, satellites and all this yeah. technology? Yeah. Mm. Not to downplay satellites or anything. No. It's just, yeah, the, it's just, it, it's, I don't know why we went there if we're not going to do anything else. Like, well, just to say we did. I mean, that was it, right? Just say we beat someone. Beat you. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Take that. <laughs> it was Russia. a race. Yeah. Yeah. It was a race, man. It was a finish line. You know, we already won it. Isn't everything. Isn't mm-hmm. everything in life. What about Barbie? Barbie came out of the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. And she has oh, toys. Her. I was thinking, oh, what are, what are she's some of the greatest yeah. toys? <laughs> What'd you say there, Brian? Oh, some of the greatest toys in uh, the 60s, man. I'm trying to think Barbie of what else. G.I. Joe. Now, Slinky, I think, is a, is a, was a huge... Those are great toys, man. 
Yeah, slinky. I still have a slinky somewhere. Just the concept of slinky, what it is, and how much fun it actually is for what it is. Was GI Joe originally sixties? Yeah, yeah. I think I it was. I found it in my notes too that it was. Wow. I think it was Play-Doh in the sixties. Was that before? I think it was in the sixties. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure, man. I'll look it up while you guys. Stretch Armstrong was a '70s thing, I think. Right? I don't think he came. Probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. Too so. many internet. <laughs> I know. Uh, too many questions floating around to not jump on the internet. Rolling Stone magazine was published. First published in the '60s, '67. Wow. Like who uh, does it say who was on the cover for the first one or anything like that? No, just that it published its first issue. Introduced in 1976, Stretch Armstrong was. So that's a conversation for next that's week. That's next week, all right. <laughs> Mr. Armstrong. But yeah, Barbie, I mean, in herself, what was the big thing? Like, at first, she wouldn't look at you. Like, she, she always was always looking to away. the side. And yeah. It was a big deal when they made her look forward and then eventually kind of changed her form into what it's stayed until it is mm-hmm. today, right? And even now they've even changed the like the way her body shape is and stuff. It's more proportionate, I think, to Is it real yeah, versus the way it used to be. <laughs> the legs that just went on <laughs> and on. They go all the way up. Hmm. Let's see what else here. What about uh here's what about uh clothing? What about bell bottoms? That's what I was just looking at, yeah. Weren't those the 60s? I mean, I, I guess I uh, kind of want to associate them to the 70s. I think they bled into the 70s, but to the Internet. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, one of the uh, – I'm pretty sure Silly Putty. I was thinking of Play-Doh, but I think Silly Putty, and they were just starting to you know, get uh, – you know, some of these things that they invented, like – I think Silly Putty, they, they came at it kind of sideways. I mean, they were trying to, you know, chemical engineer and solve issues for adhesives or for, you know, different kinds of things. And, like, plastic and all this kind of stuff was new. And I think right. I'm pretty sure that was around in the, in the 60s. And it's it's kind of fascinating when you, you've got people, well, we came up with this substance – and but they really don't know what to do with it, you know. So some guy sees it, or one of the guys is like, "This is going to be like an amazing toy," you know. And they're sitting right. there thinking of it as like a practical type. Who knows? Who knows what? Toy always seems like the last uh, like vestige of of use for something. Like, <laughs> yeah. It seems cool, but we don't know what we can use it for. Remember uh, the uh, styrofoam? <laughs> this actually yields a funny story. What, Jack and I, uh, where we used to work, we used to do uh, packing, like packages, like UPS kind of stuff. And the the foam peanuts that they supplied for us weren't like the little S shaped ones. They were like these uh, long, Big fat Cheeto Cheeto looking things. Yeah, and I ones. remember when I was in school learning about those. <clears throat> they weren't invented as styrofoam. They were originally invented as a cereal, mm-hmm. and they were <laughs> they tasted horrible, obviously. <laughs> so they multi purpose. Like, well, what do we do? We vested into this. We got to market it as something. Packing peanuts, and yep. it worked. It's obviously they're still doing it to this day. But um, I remember uh, telling this fact to a customer years back. Do you remember this story? Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) I'm disgusted. And this customer was one of little brain. And (laughs) I thought I'm going to wow this person with this story. So I, I had a handful of them sitting there on the counter. I was like, you know, 
these used to be cereal. And it's like, and even to this day, they're completely edible. Without hesitation, grabs a handful and throws them in her mouth. <laughs> them in her gullet. And eats them. Yep. Goes, hmm. Yeah, that isn't bad. I could have been messing. I could have been fucking with her. Yeah. Could have poisoned that poor girl. <laughs> I couldn't have even had enough time to say stop. I wasn't going no, to. No, as soon as you I wasn't said going it, she to, was like, really? Plunk? Yeah. Yeah. It was in her stomach. Mm-hmm. It was that quick. And those things, they were kind of like cotton candy. If they got liquid touched to it, they kind of melted all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. So there was no no stopping. <laughs> I was just afraid like I was going to look at the front door and see her like like uh, Violet from uh, Willy Wonka, <laughs> just, just like just blowing, blowing up. up. Like, oh, no. Violet's kind of violent. <laughs> Would have served her right, though. Yeah, really. Damn it. Going back to fashion, Mm -hmm. the 60s, before the 60s, everyone was always very kind of dressy, like jacket slats type thing. That's in the 60s, that's when Mm -hmm. that started changing. I see what you're saying. A more relaxed, casual wear kind of look being introduced. Yeah, that's a good point. What what about hats? You know, hats was like a a sign of uh, your stature and and, wearing um, the doors and stuff. was that was that starting to fade out, or was it? Mm-hmm. Because I know that like you see all the old movies, man. Everybody's got a hat on, and you yeah. know, different hats for different kinds of social uh, stature, or you know whatever your career was. And it's even kind before of the hats, it was uh, it was wigs, like politicians, oh, and yeah. big, <laughs> like big big pe- societal people were those uh, wa- those like Washington wigs. Yeah, Can you imagine if we had never gone past that? No, like if we like today, like I had an, a whole closet of wigs. <laughs> Jack's at the door. It's time to record. Like oh, I don't have my wig on. <laughs> Powder my face. <laughs> so I got a wig My face is powdered white And I've like penciled those two dots on my cheeks <laughs> like, <laughs> Welcome Mozart sir Jack on, yeah. Let us begin podcasting It's time it's for a, the it, podcast It's a sure sign of when <laughs> something's invented They just go nuts over it You know, Oh my gosh this guy invented a wig And they're like just going to town Everybody's gotta have it But it's, it's probably... crazy how that was at one time yeah. Like a masculine manly thing to do mm-hmm. i know it is weird and hey, it's kind of it doesn't it doesn't jar me as much when i see you know uh people from that time period and they're in their wigs and it's just like oh, i guess you know it's kind of normal but it's it's kind of like how did that happen you remember in the movie hook uh when robin williams at the end beats hook and he, he takes his sword and he flips his wig off of him mm-hmm. and he's left with ball he's bald and all that scraggly hair that's what i imagine like every one of those guys <laughs> like without their wig just nothing but shame you know <laughs> no wonder we needed wigs what else that's came out crazy. of the 60s the mustang Oh, the poor man sports car. Huh? <laughs> Not anymore. You always know somebody's doing kind of okay if they have a Mustang. Yeah. <laughs> anymore, that thing. I, and I hated that car when I was in high school because that was the car to have. Oh, myself and the oh, yeah. Mustang. But see, I, I had two friends who, uh, my buddy, one of them, he got one for himself. The other one, his parents got him one. And they were identical convertible red Mustangs. And um, I, my first car was a, Del- uh, a fucking Delta 88 Oldsmobile. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, so, <laughs> you know, when I'm rolling with my friends, it, well, I don't really roll. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. So 
But what happened within um, three years of them, each of them having the car, they both had engine recalls. One of them had it uh, recalled twice, the other once. And the one guy who had the engine replaced twice on a separate occasion was driving down 270 over by Easton and his fucking transmission just straight out the bottom of the car. So I was just like, that never happened with my Oldsmobile. (laughs) You like that Mustang, do you? That's awesome. Yeah. The Corvette first appeared, too. The first two-seater sports car. Is that... There aren't 1950s Corvettes? I don't know. The first two-seater sports car from GM. Chevrolet Corvette. Really? I would have sworn they were older than that. I would have thought 50s, but what do I know? I'm not a gearhead. (laughs) Man, if I I had only kept my first Corvette and my first Mustang, you know how much money they'd be worth? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be in some bank, Brian. You always think of the things you had, like that Beatles magical mystery tour. I'm like, ah, why didn't I keep it in mint condition? It's like, why didn't I keep my Corvette? Yeah. It's video games with me. Like, I always, always, always are hearing people talk about, oh, this game's worth so much. I'm like, ah, I had that, and I traded it for $2 credit at a fucking store. Get something else. Yeah. But the video game's about the only thing I really turned over. Everything else I kept. And it's hard to imagine that now. Like, now, I, I, I don't. maybe it's just from toy collecting. I have such a hoarding personality that uh, the thought of getting rid of games, like, I, I don't know. It's inconceivable now. When yeah, then, anymore. it was just like I was looking for a reason to get rid of that. Like, my Game Boy. That's one of the biggest things I regret. My mm, original Game Boy. big brick one. I gave that thing away to, like, a GameStop for, like, 20 bucks credit in a store or something. Like... <laughs> But again, it was before the nostalgia boom. Like mm-hmm. no one gave a fuck. It was like, who cares? It's a paperweight. It's a video you know? game, yeah. It's an outdated video <sighs> game. Whatever. I'll get I, it back. What was Muhammad Ali in the sixties um when he was at his prime? Because like Muhammad Ali at one time was the most famous person in the world. And I'm thinking that he was around the 60s, definitely in the 60s. I think you're right, Brian. Let me, uh... I had a Muhammad Ali doll toy action figure when I was a kid. Wish I had that still. (laughs) Really? Yeah, he he was, uh, let's see here. It says in the 1960 Summer Olympics, light heavyweight division. So, you know, he, that guy was a, like, an icon of sports and, and... Boxing used to be huge. I mean, you know, you had boxing was like country against country. It was a way to show up a, you know, a whole different country. So you're right. I, you know, obviously we were uh, past that. I, you know, I just know what I've uh, read about him in books. And then, you know, he had that horrible, what, what was it? He had Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease as well, or what it was his ailment. I don't know. I know. No, he wasn't able to communicate after a while. I can't remember what it was, though. I can't remember. Whatever it was, it was horrible. Yeah. He did not uh, imagine his life was not comfortable. I, th- I think it was directly related to, you know, being hit in the head mm-hmm. <laughs> over and over. I wonder if a lot of boxers get that because um, that's pretty barbaric, you know. You know, it's funny. I was actually face. listening to a uh, podcast today about a family of, uh, they weren't like super f- professional, but like in the 70s, they were semi-professional wrestlers. Uh, dad and all, all of his sons and um, the toll it took on all of them like wow know, constantly walking around with multiple concussions you can just pass mm-hmm. out at any given time you know 
they really? they you give your life, you give your body to the sport. Pretty much, know? yeah. So he goes, it might be a fake game, but that doesn't mean you don't get the shit beat. Oh you, yeah, you the injuries are definitely real or yeah, mostly oh, real. If they're crazy bad. physical, crazy yeah. physical activity. One thing that started in the '60s that's still very big today. Well, I guess it's kind of died down a little bit. What's that? But the early 2000s, it was starting to get real big again. Skateboarding. Oh, oh really? yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah kind of. That's like through the '80s, it got real big, and then kind of died off. The '90s, it started climbing up yep. into the 2000s, got real big with X Games, and then it's kind of dipping off again. Dipping off again for a little bit. I wish I wouldn't have uh, ever broke my arm. I guess it kind of comes with the territory when you're skateboarding. Like, you're mm-hmm. going to break bones. But the, after I broke my first one, I was like, no, I don't want to, you know, and yeah. I haven't gone back. And uh, But when I did it, again, I, I didn't know any tricks. All I knew how to do was go straight. Just run around. Yeah, same here with but me. But when I get off work, I would hop on the skateboard and skate the block. And how freaking relaxing that was. Mm-hmm. So I do miss it. This as short-lived as that was, I do miss it. I got too many small pebbles stuck in the front wheels, and I'd go flying forward. That was just it, man. Like, I was, we were, uh, me and my buddy went skating uh, about an hour away, like, out of town. And we were on this back, like, bike path, and I saw this big branch laying in the road. I was like, uh-uh, not going to trip me. <laughs> and I curved around it into the path of this the tiniest little pebble. And that's what sent me flying. That's what snapped my arm in two yep. pieces. A little stuff like that, then that fear gets you, and you can't do yeah. it anymore. Ooh, that was an experience. Now, did get me. I like might have saved your life from work. But. Hey. What's that? I might have saved your life. Man. What's that? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, you break your arm, and then you don't, you know, break your neck. I, man, oh, I'm yeah. kind of crazy as far as I look back when I was younger, and it's like, um, it's good I didn't get into motorcycles and dirt bikes oh, yeah. I, you know my family didn't have money for that kind of stuff sure. but if they did i probably would be dead i mean it, I, yeah. whenever i did have a chance you know i always had like these near-death experiences i <laughs> had a lot of those with my friends growing up while we me and my buddies would always want to have sleepovers at this one dude's house in particular because he had zero supervision we just did whatever the fuck we wanted and <laughs> I uh, so many we times all had one friend like that. Yeah, so many times as an adult, I look back on stuff we did, and I just it almost makes me shudder because I think how lucky I am to be sitting here after some of the stuff that I did and didn't get killed doing. You know, it's right. uh, it's a humbling, it's a it's a crazy thing. But yeah, I, I learned my lesson. I guess I, I'm not. A, I don't have that need for speed. I don't want yep. to get out there and go fast as long as i get there in a timely fashion sliding the motorcycle killed it for me i can't i can i can ride one but i can't turn left you know i've got That's friends hard one in particular who's fucking wrecked his bike into a ditch had his like leg redone and still walks with the oh. leg still gets on that fucking bike Nuts. and i'm like what is your fucking problem <laughs> i you hate motorcycles the man they're too dangerous they're just too dangerous man for yes. the you know you got you got to you got to uh, balance the thrill and fun to danger. It's like, okay, give me a jet ski, and I'll go nuts on that. But you get on a motorcycle, man, a squirrel goes across the road, and all of a sudden you're in the hospital. It's like it's yeah. just, somebody's yeah, it's uh, hubcap rural. flies off their car or your pothole. I'm in Michigan, man. Freaking potholes in, in <laughs> Michigan. Yeah. Ridiculous. That's it's what, just not worth it. That's exactly what killed my uh my buddy's stepfather he was coming home he was not he was like two three houses away from his house wow. on the street he lives and a cat ran in front of him <clears throat> and he swerved and went sideways and the bike crushed his pelvis between that mm. and the telephone pole 
my nephew died on a motorcycle. You know, my, my cousin was in the hospital for rehabilitating for, you know, like a year and, you know, recovered. But, you know, he's never been the same. Um, it's just I, I know all kinds of people. It's very dangerous. And I'm just like, I, I guess that's the thrill of it. I don't get the mentality though, Brian. Like I, I, I told you this instance of that one guy. There's, I know there's this the, the husband of uh, this woman I used to work with. He was really big into uh, motorcycle, uh, his motorcycle, riding his Harley. I mean, he was just he was the profile. You see the guy like, oh, he has a Harley, you know. And I remember he wrecked it once. Uh, he, I don't remember what exactly he hit, but um, he was pretty banged up. And I was like, you gonna keep riding oh yeah oh yeah he got back on that bike and was in an accident to where his legs somehow got caught in the tire of his bike and wrapped his leg around the wheel and just shredded it and this dude like when he came into the store was in a wheelchair with his legs straight out with all kinds of pins and shit in it i was like are you done yet no i do not get it no same here. There's no line at that point. No. Yeah, I, I wouldn't get on a tricycle after that. No. <laughs> I wouldn't leave my fucking house after that, man. I'd be it. Like, I'd be a shut-in. Like, okay, <laughs> this is the new situation. But uh, anyway. Well, I, I got something I think we have to mention that's uh, a famous person. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, wow, um, yes. I, he, man. He, he started before the 60s, but was probably the most prevalent, you know, iconic american in that time period and from since then and he was uh, assassinated in 1968 yeah that what, was what a man time, and what, what a movement you know what, what an amazing uh the guy i think born obviously to be in that position he was so articulate and so charismatic and it was uh it was a great loss sure absolutely and what a horrible way over something so ignorant but uh, what's Ahura from Star Trek? Yeah. What's her real name? Michelle. Michelle. Nichol? Michelle Nichols. Yeah. She. Uh, I heard. I don't know where I heard her talking. It had to have been on TV somewhere about. Um, she got to meet Martin Luther King, and this was during the you know the few year run of Star Trek, and he met her and said, "Oh, you know, I'm a fan of your work. I love what you're doing." And she goes, "Well, you know, actually, I'm kind of thinking of quitting. She wasn't having a great time. She was feeling out of place." And uh, was thinking of quitting. And he looked at her and said, you can't quit. You, no, you're you're really. part of the fight. You need to, yeah, it's very important that you do this. That was a big deal. And that's, part. and it was those words yes. that made her stay in that role. Hmm. And how influential and important was that character? Right. Very, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's cool. It's really neat. I mean, it's not horrible. It's not neat what happened to him. That's horrible. But I mean, what was starting then and how far it's. Come. I it think still Kennedy has a long way to go. Was but, yeah. Wasn't What's, Kennedy shot in the 60s, too? Mm-hmm. Was he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah talk These about, are not good notes to end know. on, gentlemen. I got one, a good one to, to <laughs> end on. And it's the reason the why we do the podcast. What's that? <laughs> 62, the first appearance of Spider Man. Oh. Was it really? Amazing 62. Fantasy number 17, 15. I'm wearing Spidey on my shirt underneath this hoodie as we speak. That was the. I knew it. The year he made his debut. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 1962. I did not know that. I would have thought it earlier. But mm-hmm. I, I, whenever I think of uh, those old characters, I think them to be 
like back when Superman days. Obviously, they weren't, but oh, yeah, that's right. I always Those kind of associate it to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, very good, very good. I think that'll do it for the roundtable. Ran a little long, but with good reason. Had a yeah. good conversation there. And uh, before we move on, I do want to remind all of our listeners, last week Jack and I spoke of uh, the Adult Swim package we got, the little box of cereal that says Crunch on it for the new show premiering <laughs> April 7th at midnight called Laser, Laser Wolf. Wolf. And uh, we had watched it in last week. I don't think we really gave a glowing review, not that we... Uh, mm-hmm. Wanted to say too much of it, what it was about anyway, because it again hasn't premiered yet. We right. don't want to spoil it, but um, I've had it's had time to sink in, and it's kind of um, hitting me again, like we said before, on that Aqua Teen level. If someone was to say, "What's Aqua Teen about?" You know, how do you explain yeah. that? You know, <laughs> yeah, really, it's hard to explain. Um, and this show kind of fits that profile. You have four characters: Laser Wolf, Cannon Wolf, uh, Stupid Horse, and I don't remember the other one, but. Hijinks, you know, mm-hmm. and it's funny. It yeah, was very it was funny. Funny stuff that happens at the cafe. You know, the first time I saw Rick and Morty, I was like, <laughs> I'm not into this. Uh, yeah, it took like my third watch for it to really become like I need this. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I don't, who knows? Maybe that'll happen with Laser Wolf. But I can already say a week later, it's resonating <laughs> so much better. So it's just that initial shock you got to get past, and then yeah, it revisit. Very, I loved like the uh, very neon colors to the show. I love the animation on it. It was the animation's awesome. The color palettes they use, mm-hmm. and uh, just the humor itself was yeah. very. Very good. So check it out again. Laser Wolf, April 7th at midnight on Adult Swim. And if you don't uh, check it there, if you miss it, you can always go to adultswim.com and uh, check it after it's aired there. So with that, let's swing open the door to the comic vault. Jack, would you like to go first this week? Sure, I'll go first. The comic looks old. It is. It is pretty old. I don't know. Nice. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just saw that craft paper uh, pages in there and got excited. It was it from the sixties. No, no, that's no, not that old. <laughs> We're not that dedicated, Brian. Oh, okay. Eighty-six. Oh, We're still going back there, though. Yep. So the Fat Ninja. It's about a fat ninja, basically. It opens up talking about just the, I guess, the creed of the ninja that they're a force to be reckoned with. You know, they'll come into the night. You'll never know where they are at, and his. Best his battle is what he is always looking for to fight is food, and he he's stalking his prey basically, going through in each panel and it's just I don't know he he'll be creeping in one he'll be spinning nunchucks and then he gets tripped by him he's not a, a real good ninja so this is I like guess. an like the like the internet kind of ninja or <laughs> yeah just because he has a camera on himself and a pair of nunchucks he's uh, he's a master. Mm-hmm. But his prey, he searches out food and defeats food, basically. And in this comic... Defeats food how? Explain what you're seeing. Like, he's attacking, like, a lunch truck right there, like a lunch wagon. To eat. And then that's how he defeats his his prey as a ninja. (laughs) He stalks it and then attacks it and devours it. But in this book, in the number one, he finds his prey, which is a, a, a food truck, and there's no food in it. Goes into a store, there's no food anywhere. Realizes there's no food anywhere. And he comes on upon his master. I, th- I think it was his master. It was just this old guy that's been killed. And finds that there is a shadow that's running around that killed him. And he chases the shadow. The shadow disappears. It becomes daytime. And the shadow disappears again. 
And it basically ends off there. He comes into a building where there's a shadow and some woman, and that's the end of the comic. It was kind of weird, but it was kind of fun at the same time. Very vague. So yeah. it's almost make what you make of it. He's fighting food. It. There's no food. There's a shadow. The end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what it was. That is different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it as he's flipping through, and he's not wrong. I mean, it, does, it looks kind of devoid of uh, much detail. I mean, there's some dialogue there. What's what's happening there? He's just inner dialogues. He's just searching. Fat Ninja knows Shadow is here, so he does what he does well. He waits. But they don't say who the Shadow is. Nope. No, you never find out who the Shadow is. He's just stalking the Shadow, chasing him because he killed this man, which I, th- I believe was his master, and he ends up disappearing after hmm. he does get into a battle with him a little bit. But then it becomes daytime, and the shadow ends up disappearing. Interesting. Yep. Fat Ninja. <laughs> the Fat Ninja. The, pardon me. The yep. Fat Ninja. Very good. What's the label on that? Um, Sil- Silver Wolf Comics, I believe it was. Never heard of them. Nah, old, old, old. All right. Brian, or, um, yeah, Brian, do you have anything you want to talk about? Uh, Yeah, sure. I'll talk about... Uh, I have this book. Um, I, I actually, a friend of mine was at the comic shows, was you know talking about it and showing me the uh, prototype years ago. And so I, I was like, that's such a brilliant idea, and it's so beautifully done. And finally came out recently. And it's not, it's not so much a comic book, but it's like a, a book for kids that you read through it. It's very much like a comic book, but it's it's something a little bit more. It's called Mega Awesome Notebook by Kevin Miner, the Miner Brothers. I don't know if you've got you guys ever met these guys, but uh, yeah, Mega Awesome Notebook. And and the idea is that this kid had all these doodles and he accidentally microwaves his notebook and all these doodles come alive. And so he's got to cope with, you know, teen angst. He's a younger kid. And uh, these doodles come alive in his uh, notebook. And uh, they kind of, you know, it goes through all of his, you know, bully, getting bullied or who knows what, you know, talking to girls and all that kind of stuff you go through. And the art is just magnificent. It's it, And the thing that makes it really unique and cool is it looks like a notebook. He didn't, the publisher didn't put the, uh, you know how the notebooks have the uh, metal um, spiral ring on the left? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it has it that as an image. It, it doesn't actually have the uh, metal spiral ring. But when you flip it open and you start looking inside, it's got the, you know, the lined pages with the doodles on it and all the doodles talking. And then you, over the top of it, you have like an actual pencil that's like rendered and it's kind of a mix between the doodled world that's on line paper and the real world that this uh, kid is going through. And it's wow. just so it's such a great idea and it's so beautifully done. And then the publisher, to top it off, made it's uh, called Mega Awesome Notebook. And a notebook on the cover is actually with that uh, glow in the dark kind of, uh, you know, painted on text. So you can, you know go in the dark and it kind of glows in the dark kind of fit that radioactive uh theme so what what wall of reality does that break i wonder i mean is that is that a fourth oh. wall i mean that's that's pretty that's neat i like that yeah it's a mix uh, you know it's kind of like uh what yeah. roger roger rabbit you know kind of a deal or when you get into yeah. this kind of like space jam it's kind of like that with like a kid's doodles and so 
and it's it's the idea is so pure and it's so grounded to the you know this it's like if you look at the art at this on the interior the it's like the characters are so simple on the doodles but yet it's so done sun so clean and refined and pure that it's it's uh it's captivating to look at and what was the title one more time mega awesome notebook that sounds mega awesome, and it I'm does, not. Yeah. I'm not just saying that to be <laughs> a smart the perfect ass. name, man. It, it really does. It sounds really good. I love stuff yeah, like look that. Look it up. Just look it up and, and enjoy. Just enjoy the style of it. You'll see some pages on it, and you can just there's like white out on some pages, and you know, like the actual doodler is actually holding the white out brush and like whiting out his own page. It's brilliant, man. I mean. That yeah. sounds cool. It kind of sounds very, reminds me of the Drawing Blood, the interior pages on it, because it looked like the yellow notebook paper on some of the stuff. Mm, yeah, you're right. It did. And it also makes me think of my own doodles back in school. Some yeah, that's, yeah. that's coming to life. Yeah, and I think that's the big relatability factor because yep. I, you know, who didn't doodle in their in their book little <laughs> characters and stuff? Yeah, I'd be in trouble. That's really cool. I can't wait to check that out. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> well, what I have here um, this week, again, is The Punisher, number 228. And this is a uh, more modern comic. This is just, I think, from the end of last year. And uh, the reason I wanted to get this is this is uh, Kyle, who's been on the show several times, and I have been talking a lot recently about Iron Man uh, armor, or rather the War Machine armor taken by The Punisher and with the big skull on the front, how mm-hmm. awesome it looks. Just wanting to know... The story behind it so i got it <clears throat> and uh this episode or excuse me this issue just kind of wraps up the the arc that they had going <clears throat> where this is still in the reality where steve rogers came out to be working for hydra okay and i uh i thought that was a one-off i didn't realize that stayed canon but apparently it did unless this is just a really old comic i don't think it is though <laughs> don't think it is but um he and Black Widow and um, the Winter Soldier have teamed up because they are looking to stop Ghost and Zemo. That's an unlikely teaming if mm. I've ever heard of one. But uh, And I don't even remember what they're exactly stopping them. The Ghost only. Um, I have references just from Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's the only reference I have of Ghost. Yeah, that's the same here. Give me one quick second. I, need, I don't remember what they were trying to do. I think they were going to a prison to set uh, some of their people free, okay? Like some of their bad guys free that had been put away by the heroes. Mm-hmm. This comic starts with Frank there in the war machine suit with the skull on the front. And he's laying, he's, he's walking out of the prison as Iron Man lands and says, I need that armor back. This has gone far enough. <laughs> Give it back. <laughs> he goes, no, I can't do that. And uh, he goes, you're going to have to, you know, choose between chasing me to get this armor or... Uh, saving all the scumbags that are about to die in here, and he shoots a like a thing of fire down, and it catches this trail of gasoline on fire that's heading back in to blow everybody up. That's a huge threat, Punisher and War Machine armor. Jesus Christ! Yeah, right. <laughs> so Iron Man runs in, says, "We're not done." He goes, "Oh yeah, we are." And then he shoots a missile in and collapses the building on all those people and on Iron Man. No stopping him. So by this time, Zemo and Ghost are in a chopper getting away, and. Uh, they're in the sky and they're like, oh shit, here comes uh, Frank and he's pissed. They see War Machine Punisher flying up and it's so awesome because uh, Nemo, Zemo's like, 
and Zemo being the guy with the purple right. mask, who was the guy, the bad, the bad guy, supposed to be in uh, Civil, Civil War, War movie. Yeah. yeah. But he says, um, "Ghost, how do we stop him?" And Ghost just looks out the side of the chopper and says, "We don't." Hold on. (laughs) So, you know, he shoots the chopper. It goes down. People go flying out the windows. And uh, one of the the pilot, I don't know if it was Ghost or who it was, one of the characters is laying there, like, beaten up, like, having just been ejected from this chopper. chopper. Punisher, in the war machine suit, lands directly on his head, just squashing it like a grape, killing everybody. It's freaking awesome. And then Ghost, uh, like, goes to vamp through him, like, which is shorting out his, his... Armor. armor. So he just takes a live cable that's kind of flapping nearby and just puts it to himself and electrocutes Ghost. <laughs> like, just doesn't give a shit. And his armor's taking a beating, and he's seconds away from just... He's beating uh, Zemo in the face over and over. And you just see the the his mask start to saturate with blood mm. completely. And right before he does those last few blows that kills him, here comes Iron Man again and uh, knocks him on, on his ass. They go around a little bit, and then this big helicarrier lands and says, Stop. Frank, you know, they have this huge gun that he can't possibly survive pointed at him and says, uh, step out of the armor. He's like, won't you try and make me holds up as a gun. And this big extension of this ship comes out and just pins him down like a spider leg almost. (laughs) And, uh, then coming out of, uh, the thing is Colonel Rhodes. It's, uh, Rhodey himself. And he goes, uh, you're wearing my armor there. And he goes, I thought you were done with it. He goes, I guess I thought I was too, but turns out I'm not. I'm going to need it. And he gives him this uh, little speech there. You know, you're banging up all my friends in my suit. You're giving the iron, the war machine legacy a bad reputation, and I'm not going to stand by and let that happen. Wow. And just with those words, Frank hits a button, and poosh, it opens up. He steps out. He gives it back. And they take him into custody. And while they're taking him to prison, uh, Black Widow and Winter Soldier in the road meet the convoy, stop them to break him out. That's what the oh comic my. Yeah, much more to come there, obviously. But I just oh, wanted sweet. to check in and uh, see you know, what that suit was all about. And this was a good breed. I'm in love with it. Now, man, we're running long, but i got to tell this story because this is incredible. So I, I had this comic in my hand at Pack Rats. This was upstairs. Upstairs are the new comics, the, the ground level where you walk in. In the basement are the old, dusty back issues. And what's it like down there, Jack? Help me explain to the listeners how many comics there are down there. Uh, a shit there's ton. so many, yeah, and it's very tight. Very tight. Like, you can't, like, flip through them. If you want to flip through any box, you got to take a huge chunk out just to allow the leeway to flip through them. There's and then a under lot those of, boxes, lot of there's comics. more box, at least three rows of yeah, yeah. long boxes under each one just mashed in there. Exactly. Yeah. So... I go down there with this comic book in hand, and I'm really amped up about reading it. Cool Punisher and Iron Man suit. And I just, the first thing I see peeking up was a comic title that said, What If? And I was like, ooh, I love my what ifs. (laughs) I pulled up, and what's that look like right there to you, Jack? (laughs) That's Iron Punisher. It's Iron Punisher on a what if Captain America had had formed the Avengers from 1991. This predates this by uh, 28 years here. So I had to buy it. I was like, what (laughs) in the hell is going on with this? I I thought this was the first time anything like this had ever been done, but no. So this comic starts off with uh, the Watcher saying, you know, the events in 19, uh, was it 41 of Captain America when he, Mm -hmm. the ship went down, was frozen. Uh, You know, after that ship went down in this reality, 
Steve Rogers comes back from that. He walks away from it and, you know, goes on with his serum to start uh, forming the perfect soldier and then eventually like the perfect people, the perfect race of people, and eventually becomes the president of the United States, President Steve Rogers. Under his employ is Punisher, who has been designed this uh, suit, this war machine suit, by Tony Stark. This time it was made for him and given to him, not stolen like in this book. Right. Where he and a group of these perfect soldiers have made the like an elite like shield uh, task force, I guess, where anything that needs done, they're sent out. Kind of like Black Ops, I, I guess, mm-hmm. you know? And um, one thing that's happening is all the supers are being killed off over time. And two, people of ethnicity, of race, are being put into camps mm-hmm. in the United States. Now, you keep thinking through this comic, why, Steve Rogers? Why? This isn't you at all. You he's, know? he's in charge of all this He's stuff? in charge. Well, hmm. this comic starts with War Machine Punisher following Namor. He's, they found another super. They're trying to kill Namor. Just as Namor discovers in the ice a person who looks just like and is wearing the same garb of Captain America. So they thaw him out, and it's him. It's the That's real, real Cap. Captain America. Yes. He says who he is. I'm Captain America. And Punisher's like... Wow, you inspired me. You know, I'm you're the whole reason I was in the military, became a soldier. And he goes, then you can also see how, you know, what you're doing here with these this group of guys is wrong, you know. Uh maybe you just want to join up with me. He goes, you know, I, I can't argue with that. You're right. I will I will join your cause. And he becomes the first recruited Avenger in this what if. But it's so funny cuz as quickly as he was recruited, Frank then looks over to his old comrades, these perfect soldiers, lifts an arm and just just levels them. <laughs> just kills them all. Try to switch them over or nothing. <laughs> and Cap's like, "You just killed them all." And all he comes back with is, "They committed crimes. I punished them." <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and you know that seems even out of character for the Punisher. Yeah. But it gets it gets gets crazier. Okay. And I know I'm being long winded, but there's a point to all this. Uh, they then later uh, recruit. Wolverine, who in this universe uh, took on the Gamma Blast that Bruce Banner should have taken and becomes like this big white beast-looking Hulk kind of thing. And uh, so anyway. Looks like the Wendigo almost. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. And we we cut to uh, Sam Wilson, who was, we all know as the Falcon mm-hmm. in our reality. But in this reality, he's not afforded such such a, a, an honor or an extension or a, or a rank. You know what I mean? So the only way he can survive is by uh, cat burglaring. And that's what he's doing. He's breaking into the house of Henry Pym. And next thing you see is uh, Punisher's war machine arm go to his head and says, freeze, boy. Now, those two words in themselves, uh, I was mm-hmm. like, about knocked me out of my chair. I said, <laughs> what the fuck? You know, the next page you know, in as quickly as they show up there and they capture him, Captain America's like, you know, I, I, I recognize you. I think he knew him somehow. And he goes, you're a good man. And you're just the man we need fighting with us. He goes, will you join us? And he goes, yeah, I absolutely will. Sends Frank over the deep end. How dare you allow a black man on the Avengers? What? Right? I, again, was on the floor. I was reading this comic at like 11 o'clock at night, and typically if I'm reading comics that late, I'm falling asleep. Mm-hmm. I was at the edge of my chair with this thing. Like, where <laughs> the fuck is this going? 
So they're out looking for recruits. They go to Xavier's mansion where every single X-Men is killed, all by Steve Rogers' rule with these people. And uh, they then there recruit... I think they recruit Magneto. I can't remember. They then go to the... I'm going to just kind of breeze over these next few details because they're not all that important. But what you come to find out is at the end, when they do confront this Steve Rogers, it's really Red Skull. He just was in disguise. And um, that's why all these years prejudice was never allowed to not that prejudice is gone but to start to heal you know what i mean there was no start starting to heal for that it was just left to go rampant which is why frank was like the way he was that that was norm yeah and you know he already in our reality doesn't bat an eye at killing somebody but this seemed even these were unarmed caged uh criminals Mm -hmm. and still gunned them down and didn't seem to bat an eye when questions like he was confused like oh i don't understand why you're asking they were bad you know this is another norm and uh people you know of ethnicity in camps another norm in this reality a reality that the red skull has created in Mm -hmm. 1991 it took a what if comic in 1991 (laughs) to say these things and then you know jack you above anybody know that I'm not one to get political on this show. Yeah. I certainly don't. I I believe it's a personal decision and your views are personal. I don't need to push that shit onto the world, nor do I like people pushing it onto me. But what a statement. It, in 1991, it took a what-if comic to imagine people of ethnicity being pulled from the streets and thrown in cages and camps. And it's happening today, Jack. Yep. It's happening out there right now. So I, I, this comic just really knocked me on my ass. It was such a good read. I had so much fun with it. And I'm sorry to be so long-winded, but I just had to... Uh, just the coincidence of finding the two, how 28 <laughs> years ago they're saying, can you imagine? You know, we're so far beyond, but can you imagine if this were to happen? Like that, and yeah. 28 years after that... We're right back there, aren't we? Mm-hmm. I'm glad I mentioned Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Me too. Yeah, serious. <laughs> Me too. It all came back around. <laughs> I tell you, man. <clears throat> all right. Yeah, that's I'm pretty so- cool, though. It was pretty good perspective that you know someone coming from the past too. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. such an experience to find those two books. You know, the the common denominator between them two being the Punisher and. Uh, I don't know. It was. I, that's why I love comics. That's mm-hmm. why I love comics. All right, we need to move this along. And right now is the time of the show where we announce one lucky, well, I guess two lucky winners, but one person is claiming the tickets for those yes. two people, right? That's it. And Jack, how did you do this? You've already uh, done the randomizer. Typically when you've done this in the past, you do these live on Facebook and mm-hmm. you get a randomizer which shuffles all the names. We've... Put them in alphabetical order mm-hmm. and I shuffle them three times, shuffle one more for the winner. The winner is the, the first name at the top. Mm-hmm. And when I did this, the winner for the two three-day priority platinum passes to Wizard World in St. Louis, Missouri on April 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th is Kelly Shadden. Big applause to Kelly. Kelly. Kelly Shadden, you are a big winner. Thank you so much for entering. And you're going to have to send us some pictures of you guys, of uh, you and your guests' time at this convention. But uh, how is it? They, she now has till, uh, what, the 30th? The 30th at midnight to, to email us. send us an email and claim your prize, and mm-hmm. you'll be going. 
I mean, that's that a small easy. price to pay. You, get to, you listen to a podcast and you have to shoot an email that's to it. a weekend of awesomeness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on. Yeah, why okay. why isn't everybody doing it? Congratulations to you, Kelly. And uh, we definitely hope to get that email from you soon and send you and your guest on your way to Wizard World St. Louis. And those of you that entered and did not win, you are still a winner because you can get 10% off your tickets by using canned air in the promo code at checkout. Yeah, and that is no small little discount yeah. either. That that definitely helps mm-hmm. when going to a con. I always joke saying that, but I'm saying it serious now because there's truth in it all those serious. words. Yeah. yeah. All right. Serious. Let's move, turn our attention right over to Brian and talk more about Inferno City Firehouse, which I'm really excited to hear about. Uh, Brian, I want to thank you once again for being back on the show. And typically when we've talked to you, it's about your other project, Staunch Ambition. And this seems to be a whole new entity onto itself. You're, you have just successfully funded this uh, on Kickstarter, so another big congratulations to you. But can thank you, you tell us and uh, the listeners about Inferno City Firehouse? Uh, yeah, Inferno City Firehouse is a uh, it's going to be a it's a one shot graphic novel, and it's dealing with true stories about real Detroit firefighters. So I took uh, several true stories about firefighters from doing research, personal friends, family. My grandfather was a Detroit firefighter for twenty six years. Oh, wow. uh, retired, a, yeah, senior lieutenant. You know he. he he uh, was a firefighter during the uh, historic riot riots in Detroit. Um, so I didn't deal with that issue, but I, I, I did use a story from my grandfather that will just punch you in the gut. You know, to, I, I, it took me a while as I would tell some people as I'm making it or uh, without tearing up or it's, it's a tough one. And even Irwin, when he was uh, drawing, I have Irwin Arosa from staunch ambition doing the pencils. And, um, he was like, this is hard to draw. This is like, so it's, it's so moving. And it's, you know, it's based on a real story. My grandfather went through, uh, my, my aunt told me the story and she said she'd only seen her dad cry twice. And this was one of them when he had, uh, uh, told them this story and another time when his my grandmother when his wife was uh, had some health concern even though she wound up living to be 97 so I uh, I was doing a um, just to give you a little idea why, why would I do this um, this book I was doing a signing at a comic shop and one of the fans who was buying my uh, sci-fi book is a firefighter and when I was younger going to college I lived with a firefighter and while I was uh, going to college, I was, I was doing a couple comic book covers, and uh, one of the firefighters saw that I was doing these uh, comic book covers, and he covers, and he wanted to do a poster for the uh, firefighters' annual convention in Detroit. So he had this idea of the the uh, Renaissance Center, which is the GM building now. It's like one of the main, most iconic buildings in Detroit with a, a dragon, giant dragon around it, and a firefighter going one-on-one with this dragon. So I did that poster back in college, and I had a version of the poster I was selling, and the firefighter's buying my sci-fi book, and he's like, uh, you should do a firefighter book. And I just kind of laughed. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'm kind of too busy to even consider doing anything. And I, But it stuck with me because, you know, uh, knowing firefighters and having my grandfather— and he's like, there's no firefighter books out there. And I was like, that can't be true. Well, I, I did a little Google search, and there wasn't 
yeah, there's a few firefighter books. There's one graphic novel that I saw. And then, you know, everybody sees once in a while you got like Spider-Man teams up with the firefighters. And usually that's kind of geared towards kids. And But there really wasn't anything out there, not much, not much at all compared to how amazing firefighters are and what they go through and everything they do. So I don't know. Everything just started to gel. And um, I looked up the guy I did the uh, poster for, uh, Mike Nevin, and it turns out he's the president of the Detroit Firefighters Association. Wow. And what I was a like, holy crap. Yeah. So I call him up. And I'm like, you wouldn't guess who this is. And, you know, he's like, no shit. And then uh, uh, I told him the idea. And he's just like, you got to do this. This is just perfect timing. I mean, because, you know, comic books weren't what they are today like they were when I was in college. Right. You know, you guys know how that works. So it's like um, when he was lit up and I after the research, I was like, this is just a sorely neglected, um, you know, story in uh, comics. You know, that I think could use a little more focus and uh so that's kind of where it started i you know and you beat me to the question because i was that's one of the first things i was going to ask what uh was your inspiration but you've obviously just told us that um you know and it's funny when you first sent the project over and i first saw the cover my first reaction was kind of too like man i wonder why he chose to do a firefighter book Mm -hmm. there's something about it that almost almost screams there's something personal to this there's a personal experience or there's something deep rooted here you know what i mean rather than just like sure. brian one day sitting there with his you know rubbing his chin going i, I want to make a firefighter book yeah. you know like well, well this seems this like there's something there yeah well it's it's uh it's gonna be black we're keeping the interiors black and white with erwin's natural talent you know his pencils are amazing and, and it's the perfect uh style for a stories about a gritty story about real you know tragedy and this this story turned into dealing with ptsd depression suicide um which is a problem in military and first responders you know firefighters so but it just naturally turned to dealing with really gritty and heavy subjects so um uh that it is personal and it's a hard book, but uh, it's something that needs to be discussed and looked at, and and it's it's powerful and gripping. So uh, it, you know, it's it's it, that's everything. The reason I would just go, oh, I gotta I gotta do this, I gotta do this story, and and then I did some research, not just you know going off of my grandfather and whatnot, but I I, I actually went and did some ride-alongs with a, a fire company down in Detroit here, Engine 33 and Ladder 13. I was doing a show at Michigan Comic-Con, and these firefighters were walking by, several of them, and I, and I, I was already trying to you know, figure out if I'm going to do it. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do this. And then they come walking by, and I started talking to them. One guy gives me his card. And then I thought, you know, I need to do some ride-alongs. So I went down there. I spent the night at the station. You know, I, you know, seen a, seen a few fire, drug overdoses, and some, uh, you know, car accident. And then I got, you know, interviewed them, ate dinner with them, got in the mentality with them, rode on the trucks, all that stuff. And I got all these stories together, and I picked all the ones that I, I go, these are the ones that need to be told. And I figured out how to connect it all. And even with the, the fiction that's in the book, to connect it into a narrative, it's, you know, I tried to make all the fiction is based on actual true events or just reality and whatnot. So, yeah, that just all came together. So I'm, I'm pretty much uh, pretty much going to be sending it to the printer. The Kickstarter just ended yesterday, sending it to the printer. 
um, tonight or tomorrow, actually. Nice. I, that I'm sure all backers would love to hear that. <laughs> like the day after it's successfully funded, it's already on its way to being made. Uh, yeah. Definitely. How often does that happen, yeah. Jack? Not often, but <clears throat> um, no, that's awesome. You you delved in that deep. You know, not only experiences from your great your your grandfather, but man, you, you went on ride along, stayed at the firehouse. I mean. That's dedication. That's mm-hmm. that's you want to do this. That's definitely a sign that this is going to be. I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say without sounding stupid. It's With all when you take like backdraft. That was a good firefighter story. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But then actually taking a story and then putting real life events and occurrences and yeah stuff and this... it makes it a, a, it makes it a lot more enticing, I guess, to read. I'm already oh my gosh hooked yeah. on this idea just because of the. Uh, I guess the hook you put out, like the, yep. the, the story, like what story is so moving that uh, makes a man cry only for a second time, you know, in yeah. his life. Oh my gosh, that is. <laughs> and then, um, one of the uh, things I first found out, which the firefighter I lived with had, uh, shot himself. Mm. And, uh, when I was uh, hooking up with uh, Mike Nevin and discussing the book and all that, and, and and when he had told me that it hit me pretty good because I I, you know, I didn't kept touch with him in a while and uh, for years, and um, the heat, Mike Nevin told me that and it just like out of the blue I was like what, and all of a sudden this, I think at the time it turned out to be five pages, but this three page sequence came into my head, and that was one of the first things I wrote for the book. So it just started out with that, you know, because it, it hit me emotionally when I already de- dedicated to do the the book. So, yeah, so this this five-page sequence that I was going to start the book out with, but it wound up inside the book. And uh, it's powerful. The, the book, I'm noticing I'm really playing a lot with contrast. I tried to contrast characters and contrast approaches and visuals and there's a lot of contrast of comparing this to that or you know doing it this way and then doing it that way and stuff and i I had a lot of fun doing that i am thrilled to read this i really Mm -hmm. cannot wait um to get my hands on this are you you coming to columbus again this year yeah we're gonna i'm gonna do the wizard world yep awesome awesome I will nab my copy there, but I cannot wait to, to check this out. This sounds really, really good. Where uh, should people be checking it out? I know staunchambition.com uh, has some stuff there. Is there anywhere else? Well, yeah, that's kind of the deal is, you know, I have Staunch Ambition, um, and so I'm doing this book in between issue three and four. But uh, the website I have is Staunch Ambition, and I have a tab on there for Inferno City Firehouse. I have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, Inferno City Firehouse. Uh, its own pages and i will be adding the book to the store on the website for anyone who's you know out of state um uh, but right now i'm just trying to get obviously get it to the printer and then you know take care of the the kickstarters as soon as i get this thing off to the printer i'll start working on getting people able to order it online so inferno city it, it the title's inferno city firehouse but it's underneath inferno is it's motor city which is, you know, obviously Detroit, right, and sure. um, and then spray painted over the top top of it vandalizes the uh, Inferno word, word Inferno. So uh, I'm thinking it's possible we might do, you know, do a series, uh, other books dealing with this kind of true stories, maybe even other cities, another Detroit one, maybe have it Windy City, you know, and then have Inferno City over the top of that. So this one's technically called 
Inferno City Firehouse, the Motor City edition. Okay. Yeah, that'd be cool. So like like other ladders, other people's stories. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh yeah, and I, and I want this to. I don't, you know, and I was kind of careful. I didn't want it to be just. It's, it's about Detroit firefighters, but it's it's about all firefighters anywhere you are. So it's uh, you know because it's it's stuff that all of these firefighters can go through and go through, you know, to some degree. So I don't, you know, I don't want to exclude out, you know, obviously that would be bad for business, but at the same time, I just don't think it's right to write the story where it's, you know, only people from Detroit can relate to it. That's by no means right. is that the case. No. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I cannot wait to read this, Brian. It's, you've put a lot of effort and a lot of heart into this, and I think that's going to show through. I mean, it already is, and I haven't even read it yet. But um, thank you so much for being here. And uh, again, I cannot wait to see you in Columbus here. And I'm going to nab me a copy of that book when we do. Yeah. All right, guys. It's awesome to be on again. Jack, what do we have on the website? Go to CandairPodcast.com where you can check out our special guests, listen to the show, follow us on all our social media. Oh, check out our Patreon page, see some of our YouTube videos, get a hold of us if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> Find us on Twitter at Candarepod and on Instagram at Canned underscore air, patreon.com forward slash Candarepod. I think you already mentioned the Patreon pod, but again, you can get uh, our other show there for $5 a month and our other show we have, uh, What If. Mm-hmm. I, I, I talked about a What If comic. I didn't even plug the What If show yeah. we do. We do a whole series called What If. Uh, it can be found at whatifpod.com or if you're searching your podcast players, search what if series. There are some other what if pods out there that'll pop up, but we're the one with the yellow text and the blue background. And they don't stand up to us. They don't stand yeah. a chance. But <laughs> we crest uh, 250 subscribers on Player FM on that nice. show, so hey, we're not doing too bad. Ooh. Not too bad at all, so. Anyway, and one more time, what was our winner's name? Kelly Shadden? Kelly Shadden. You have till uh, March 30th at midnight to get us that email or the tickets will go to someone else. That's it. All right, I think that about does it. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I am Jack Doherty. And I am Brian Lau. Thanks for listening, everyone. chicken hold on there boys wow it's flint instead of writing your name write candairpodcast.com and help spread the word well that's a great idea now we know and knowing is half the battle gi One, two, one, one, two, three, testing. Talk, gentlemen. Testing. I don't know if I can do with Urkel still stare, Jake. Yeah, he's oh, yeah. the eyes. <laughs> you like, like my Urkel there? He's, like, he's concerned, but, like, a little aroused. And, like, <laughs> he's standing too close to an open fire because fire, yeah. they're melting, melting on his face on one side. But Oh, you know, these things have to happen. He's friendly. friendly. Keep, keep, keep it safe. What's this? I don't know. It's weird. Like, weird. Like. Oh, it did it again. 
Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.